Welcome to the Dynamic Leader Podcast. My name is Shelley Flett and I'm your host. The intention for season five is to empower you to own your career, inspire those around you and influence sustainable change that is good for all. These conversations are to help you become truly dynamic. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi everyone and welcome to another Dynamic Leader Conversation. Today, our topic is a decade of reflection. And to join me for this conversation, I have a wonderful guest, Ashley Fell, who is a social researcher, author, TEDx speaker, and director of advisory at the internationally recognized McCrindle. She has just celebrated her, or recently celebrated her 10th year with the organization. She does a lot of speaking and presenting on topics that include future trends, generational insights, business forecasts, leadership and communication skills. If there's one person to follow on LinkedIn, just to kind of keep you up to date with what's happening, um, Ash is definitely uh, someone you should pop on your list. But Ash, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Shelley, and for such a warm introduction. Um, it's it's delighted to, I am delighted to be here. So I, um, we're connected on LinkedIn. I recently saw your post about celebrating 10 years and I always love a good like insight kind of post. Um, and it's what led me to reaching out to you to say, I love what you've written about. Can you come and talk to us? What does it feel like to have been in the same organization for 10 years? Because that's quite the uh, accomplishment given the transient nature of our workforce today. Yeah, absolutely. And not to um, throw out stats too early in the piece, but like we we know so many insights about even this um, particular area of work and mobility and careers and the statistic I often talk about with regards to you know, the next generation of workers coming through um, is that they'll have 18 jobs across six careers in their lifetime. And I'm like, but here I am like 10 years into my tenure at McCrindle, putting a new meaning on the word tenure. But no, I've it's it's weird. It's It's been a wonderful opportunity to reflect, which is where that LinkedIn post was kind of birthed out of. But um, I never imagined I would be in the same organization for that long. I do feel like I probably have a pretty loyal strand in me, but like any young workers, because this was my, um, I came straight from uni um, into McCrindle and yeah, like any worker, I think I was looking for flexibility and meaning and purpose. And there've been times, I'll be honest, where there was moments where I was like, oh, maybe is my is it time to go or is time up? But then things shift in the organization and and we've grown so much that so many opportunities opened up for me here. And and I just love what we do. And I've been so engaged for that whole time. Um, so I couldn't speak more highly of it. And so um, career number one, you know, what did you say? Six careers. So um, yeah. that's, you know, another 50 years in the workplace is probably not unrealistic. <laughs> yep. Yep, that's right. I mean, I I did some other work during when I was at university, but I wouldn't say it was career-based work. It was more like I was working at Virgin Active um, at the gym during uni and I was doing reception and um, and I was a lifeguard. And then I did actually a little bit of time in head office, which was really cool to learn about that organization from more of an area that I wanted to pursue. But yeah, my first kind of real career was stepping into uh, the doors at McCrindle and, and here I am <laughs> 10 years later. Um, and it sounds like there's just so much um, insight and opportunity and you're kind of almost um, running in parallel with the evolution of the workplace and being able to keep up with things. So the nature of your work and the workplace that you're in would is kind of conducive to that 
movement. So you're probably yeah. a little bit of an outlier in comparison to some more conventional organizations or organizations that are sort of set in a particular service or product delivery. Yeah, for sure. And I think like I've seen it in the research that I think everyone wants variety in their in their job. Um, you don't want to be doing the same thing every single day or get stale or get bored. Um, and I'm not saying that parts of my role aren't repetitive because like anyone's job, they are. Um, but I think for us, we work across so many different industries, uh, which is a really beneficial thing. One minute we're researching education, then we're doing something for the government. Then it's a survey about how Australians feel about COVID and finances. And and even the word social researcher, which is what we use to describe ourselves, is basically we study human behavior. And the pandemic was such an interesting time to be in this field where everything was changing and we were kind of running heaps of research, more internally driven research, I would say at that time than any other time I've been here, where we were just trying to understand how people were responding and behaving and commenting on that and and being able to give organizations and and people at conferences and in boardrooms an idea of what's going on and some clarity with some facts and research. It's also just a really rewarding job as well. And you can see it making a difference for people. And even for my particular role, like a big part of my job here today is to go out and speak at conferences. I do around 50 a year or sometimes more than that. And it's, again, it's a really rewarding one where, you know, people think, oh, it's going to be a boring presentation about numbers and stats and demographics. I'm like, oh, just you wait. Like it's, it might be fun. There'll be laughter. There'll be jokes. There'll be insights. So that's also really rewarding for me personally as well. Fabulous. And thinking about, you know, some of the reflections that you've had over the past 10 years, the first one that you wrote about was life is lived in the tension. Um, you say nothing is all good or all bad. A lot of things are not either or, but rather both and. Um, tell us a little bit more about that life is lived in the tension because I, I like the idea of it. Yeah, it's a bit of a... Um... It's a word that I have been dwelling on, I think, for the last, the be- probably the better part of the last decade. Just this idea, probably formulated through the research that we conduct, um, that there is nuance in, in everything. And I love the word tension um, because I feel like it it gives us an opportunity to talk about things in a more balanced way. And some of the things that we talk about with regards to the future and megatrends um, is technology. And and we've, Mark and I have co-authored a book about Generation Alpha. And in that book, I felt like I had this task of trying to work out and, and, and talk about, you know, social media and technology and AI, like, is it good or is it bad? And, and when I was doing all that research and writing for that book, I felt like, it was just a bit of a debate between like, it's good, it's good in this way, but it's bad in this way. And it's helpful here, but there's going to be a challenge here. And, and even with work and, and career advice and life, I feel like there's always good and there's always bad. But when you're a bit younger, you're kind of just thinking in absolutes. That was for me anyway, my experience. Um, and for a lot of people, I think that the easy way to interpret something or understand even something like technology or its impact on our life is just to go, was it good or bad? I just need to know, like, yes or no. But actually it's it's got both. And so I feel like that life is lived in the tension one was reflecting on my career, but also through insights about human behavior and research. It's just, let's always look at the pros and the cons of something that's weigh things up um, rather than just kind of jump to the conclusion and trying to find this absolute because life's a bit more messy than that. Um, and if you can find the good, you know, in the tension of, of things in the, in a, a job that you might not 
be loving every day, but there's there's good aspects of it or whatever it might be. You know, there's there's elements there I think that are helpful across different areas um, of life, which is where I was trying to go with that. But I I would say one of my favorite words is the word tension. Um, I think it's a really helpful way to think about things. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk a lot about the importance of storytelling and narrative. And I think about the um, the concept of tension and the impact or the strength that a story has. And then I ask myself, well, if there is, you know, what is the tension and what are the stories I'm creating either for or against and what actually is most resourceful to me? Like I see that being able to weigh up the pros and cons or the the goods and the the bads then kind of leads into, well, if I was to focus more on, well, what are the benefits? What is the good thing about this? And create a narrative on that, that, that those two things together could really just change how I show up and my effectiveness and the motivation, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I do love the word storytelling as well. It was, um, it turned out to be a pretty big word in my career because quite early on, I, I delivered a TED talk um, about the power of storytelling in a digital era. And that was a very career defining moment because uh, of just the amount of prep that had to go into that and the delivery and that it would live online forever. And so, yeah, totally agree. Even like you think about a good story and it's, it's it has tension in it and it's got um, challenges and, and plot twists, but then you've got to navigate that like any good career or relationship or story, there's always tension. But I think just learning that that is okay to have complexity in things um, as you get older, I think is something. Because I, again, I, I feel like almost with these reflections, I was kind of talking to someone starting out in their career, like as someone who is 10 years on, I felt like that was a little bit of my thing. But it was it was great to see that it resonated with a lot of people who are even, you know, have more tenure than I do um, in the workforce and in different roles. I had a lot of feedback about that, which was was really lovely to hear as well. Yeah, absolutely. And what an awesome uh, TED Talk. I would recommend uh, our listeners to go check that out. Um, Ash refers to the hungry caterpillar uh, and how much her husband loves camping, but she doesn't so much, um, <laughs> which I think is a whole other conversation. Um, but yeah, absolutely. So one of the other things that I'd like to um, explore is your fourth reflection, which was around people underestimating you can people underestimating you can be a blessing in disguise. Uh, it kind of does that tie into number one? Like tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it it definitely does. A lot of these are very <laughs> intertwined and and lean on each other. Um, I think this actually was this came out of probably again, it's very linked to the kind of the the research that we do around human behavior and even generational analysis and stereotypes. And I did a presentation um, a couple of years ago now for a, it was a customer owned banking association. And there was kind of like young working, young workers, emerging workers who were attending that conference within the banking and financial sector. And it was, they asked me to talk about the research and the insights, but they wanted me to weave in more of the story of my personal story and career advice in that, which is where some of these kind of, I think, were a little bit birthed where I started to think about, oh, what would I say to someone who was in their early 20s who was kind of just starting out? And I feel like even the generational 
analysis or that kind of discourse where it's almost like, oh, Gen Z are lazy or Gen Z are entitled or they just want like X, Y, Z. And, and as a millennial myself so or a Gen Y, you know, of course, we've all faced that when you're starting out where different people have particular stereotypes about a cohort of people born between a certain time. And I would say to people like, let that fire you up. Like let that, like use that to, to have an opportunity to prove them wrong. And I found that in my own career, I, I, especially as a young woman. And if people are watching this or have seen a photo of me, like I have blonde hair and, you know, the blonde jokes, they come sometimes. And, you know, people are like, especially at a conference or a boardroom where I walk in and people are like, oh, who's this 20 something young woman, young blonde girl? Like, why would I have to listen to her? Or what do I have to say? And, and I feel like it's an opportunity for me to be like, okay, well, I'm actually going to surprise you and hopefully delight you. And I've seen that even with, even just with audiences who might not have stereotypes about my age or my gender or how I look, but they're just made to be at a conference and they're sitting there with their arms crossed and they're like, oh, why should I listen to you? I've been forced to be here. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, hopefully I'll be able to like surprise you if, if, the, if the bar is low, like we can really go high. We can exceed that. That's kind of what I meant by this. And I, I feel like it's, that's how I've reframed maybe something that could be perceived as a negative where people discount you or have stereotypes. Um, I feel like, nah, let, let's, let's use that to motivate us. Like, I feel like it, for me anyway, in my career, it actually has worked as a bit of a blessing because if they have a low expectation, even of, again, as I said earlier, like a, a presentation about demographics, like even when people see the word data or demographics, I think instantly they're like, oh, boring presentation, yawn. And I'm like, nah, like there's going to be a lot of fun in this. There's going to be humor, like there's going to be reveals. Uh, my goal is to entertain and inspire and inform people. Um, and so again, if they if they think it's going to be boring, it's easier to exceed that. So that's kind of what I was getting at um, with particular mm. reflection. Yeah, that's great. And I'm wondering as you're talking whether um, humility is a trait something that is very much respected in um, most leaders is almost opens you up to being underestimated and that that element of surprise it kind of like I feel like those two align like you can underestimate me more if I'm if I operate with a high level of humility as opposed to not and I don't know whether there's any correlation it just kind of feels like there is in my head Oh yeah, absolutely. I think for sure. I mean, humble leaders um, are, I mean, the best in my in my humble opinion. Um, and just the ones who don't try and exert their their dominance and but they show it through their actions. And it's kind of they don't have to talk about themselves or what they're going to do. They just show you um, through their actions. And I think that's even in the research and um, in another book that Mark and I co-authored, which was called Work Wellbeing, we looked at the evolution of leadership and how in the past it's been very um, top-down, hierarchical, command and control style. And today it's really shifted towards more of that leader within the team who's humble, um, who, yeah, might be underestimated, but then is able to prove and show just by their care for others or their service to others or their inspiring message, whatever it might be. And then I feel like that respect is gained because of that. And so, yeah, I definitely think it's got a connection um, to, to humble leadership for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And if we can just expand a little bit on the generations. So I always love hearing about this generation is this and that generation is that. And I'm keen to get your thoughts on the youngest generations 
for the emerging generations are always going to be labelled lazy and entitled, I think, because of the nature of the age. Because <laughs> I go, well, and I'm an early Gen Y. I think I'm at the other end of Gen Y than you. So I was born in 1980 and I think you were at the other end of that. So I think you and I kind of are the bookends of of Gen Y. Yeah. But uh, I know myself um, when I was in my late teens, early 20s entering the workforce, I was probably perceived as lazy and I was probably perceived as entitled. I know that that was being spoken about. At what point can we start to see a generation really kind of coming into its own uh, characteristics or like how how do we define that? Because is it too early to be saying this is what Gen Z, I mean, maybe not Gen Z, but Gen Alpha, just because of the age at which people are? That Do we have to be careful about what traits we attach to a generation because of the age of that generation? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and there's lots of, I mean, we we do a lot of generational analysis. We're very well known for that. Even Mark having name Generation Alpha gives us has given us so many amazing and me so many amazing opportunities and platforms to speak overseas at massive conferences about them. And and that comes with the, I guess, the devil's advocate perspective around is generational analysis helpful to box people into just because they were born between these years and then that means they have these qualities. And we actually just did a big Generations Defined study earlier this year, which I was very involved with. And part of the um, application from that study was these three key takeaways that we put at the end of the report, which was understand what makes people different was number one. So think about them as their generation and and what characterizes them because every time we run a study, every time we go to the generational analysis section, and there's always really interesting differences between the generations, which is fascinating. So understand what makes people different, uh, but also not just from a generational perspective, but from an individual perspective, because people defy the stereotypes. Like my tenure and the basis of this conversation is is an exact um, contradiction to the stat around young people. Not that I'm that young anymore, but young people, you know, millennials and Gen Gen Z, oh, they they're not loyal. They're moving jobs so frequently, and like here I am celebrating ten years. So that's an individual kind of, I think, um, almost counter trend in some ways to that generation or that trend within that generation. So understand what makes people different from a generation perspective and from an individual perspective, but also understand what makes people the same. And what I, what we meant by that was even what unites people across generations and even just that desire for love, belonging and acceptance. Like that doesn't change whether you're, um, what year you were born or what generation you fit into today. And the third takeaway was lead with empathy and think about other people's perspectives um, that you lead and that you engage with. Um, but back to the question you had, I think there are two things. One is uh, life stage. So it's almost that idea of like anyone who's in their early 20s when they're starting out in their career, were they always described as lazy or is it just people in their 20s now? Like, is it a generational thing? So there's life stage, but then also the generational characteristics. And I think we do have to be a little bit careful around when we apply characteristics to a generation like Gen Alpha, who the oldest of them are only 13 this year. So they've got a long time to live through social events and technologies that will define them and shape them and how they respond to that. But what we love to do, I think, um, and the final thing I say on this is just, we try and look at the context that shapes a generation because we do believe 
those transformative technologies and societal events do play a role, especially when they're, they're experienced in our formative years. And so we look at those kind of even kind of, I guess, teen, teenage years and a bit earlier, but even into the early 20s, like those defining things that happen that do unite a generation and bond a generation. And that's not to say that people can't defy those stereotypes or be different, um, but all that is to say, I think generation, generational analysis is helpful, but it's not not the be all and end all of understanding the people you lead or the customers you might engage with. As uh, a leader and you know someone who works with a lot of leaders, I've found that appreciation of different generations and the experiences, the unique experiences that they went through, does help to um, evoke empathy or just soften sometimes the strong beliefs that you know people have in opposition to what someone else will um and so you know it's looking at not just the generation but I also like to refer to the generation of the parents of those people so I love generation I love gen x and then you know if you look at a lot of the parents for gen x were the industrials and you know what that what that means in terms of values and focus and how you approach work and obviously talking more generalised as opposed to um, uniquely because, as you said, there's outliers in in everything. But it, it kind of helps to go, well, that's not the way that I would live and not the way that I would do things or not what I would value, but I get I get how someone has got there. So I think it, I think I love generation generational studies I think they're fabulous and and just allow us a greater understanding of of what other people have experienced in their life yeah absolutely the and that all plays into that context like you said the the generation that raised them what were their values what was their context um as well as some of those broader societal trends and yeah we we have these um, insights even about that where oftentimes, yeah, generations are a reaction to the one that went before it. So you t- tend to now that women are having children later in life, they're waiting often till their thirties. You have a bigger generational gap than in the past between parents and children. So often it's like millennials or the Gen Ys are now parents of Gen Alphas, which means the Zs are in between. Um, if people are keeping up to date, I have to remind myself that not everyone talks in generational language like we do every day. People are like, is it Gen X? And they're talking about Gen Z. So it's X, Y, Z, Alpha, and with the baby boomers at the other end. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting to see that often generations are reactions to the one that went before, and they often do mirror the characteristics of their parents. And that context that's shaped them is is really important in that regard as well, with regards to the kind of homes they grew up in and what values that generation of parents kind of displayed, or what kind of parenting styles they they exhibited for their own children. And I think. Um to recognise the impact that COVID had on the different generations and not to, while it's nice to be past it um, or past the the initial impact of it, um, you know, just thinking about or considering what, what the impact of COVID was on particular generations. So um, in particular, I think Gen Z just having finish school and entering the workforce for the first time and then being disrupted by, you know, this this lockdown, but also Gen Alpha and what that meant for for schooling and development. And um yeah, yeah it's really fascinating stuff. Yeah. You can see why I've been been here for so long. 
<laughs> like I want to come join you. Um, <laughs> so one of the other things that you talk about um, in your reflection is words of encouragement should not be undervalued. Do you find that sometimes words of encouragement are too quickly dismissed and we miss the opportunity in that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I've always been a words person, so this is probably a bit more of my like personality or my personality hopefully came through the whole post, but I've always been someone that has really appreciated when someone writes a beautiful card or says something kind. And and I think, and I, again, as I reflected on my tenure and my career so far, it has been those moments of doubt or imposter syndrome or insecurity where people have said something and it's been able to kind of lift me out of that and get out of my own head and just have the backing and the confidence to be like, no, I'm going to, I'm just going to go for this. And if, if I fail, then that happens and I'll learn from it and move forward. Um, but I definitely think in the world today, it can be a little, it can be perceived a little bit, um, like, like a warm and fuzzy. And, and I think even as leaders, you know, we've got so many, um, KPIs and things to be monitoring and it can be easy to forget the importance of a kind word to someone in your team or an encouragement. And at McCrindle, because a lot of what I've learned is from my experience here and the leadership that Mark has displayed over this team and the culture he's built, but also through the research and what people want out of their jobs and their careers. And again, how that differs by generation is fascinating. Um, but I know for us, like we have always... Um, ever since I started, the culture here has been very intentional and has been a really big part of um, the organization's characteristic. And like just a, a simple thing that was quite striking to me when I first started was that we all stop and have lunch together every day. Now, that's not mandated. If you have to get project done or you're working to a deadline or you want to go out for lunch, you know, that's your time and you can do with it what you want to do. But it was very clear when I first started. It's like, yeah, we break at 12.45, um, 45 minutes and when we have lunch together and we build relationships and sometimes we play card games or we go for a walk around the area that our office is in or whatever it might be, or we just sit and chat and eat lunch. But um, that kind of idea of culture is really important and I think a key part of that is speaking to other people in a positive way and words of encouragement um, we know that people in their work want to be celebrated for the wins they have and um, the impacts they can make. And we used to, well, not used to, but we developed this CPI equation in the work or being book and was C for culture, P for purpose, I for impact, and three elements of a workplace that are really important for people. And I think especially when it comes to that I, people want to, that I for impact, people want to be celebrated for that. And we see that in the younger generation. So every meeting we have, we have two kind of team-wide meetings a week and we always start with celebrating the wins and we just have time to share about projects that have gone on and, and most leaders are trying to highlight the members of their team that they lead and and celebrate them for their impacts and shout out people who might not talk about themselves um, who are humble so I think yeah that those words of encouragement are really key and and I put in that that point as well that I think I've just seen it through the research and through people in my own life just as you get older um, you, you never know what someone's going through personally. And that quote, that famous quote that I try and live my life by, which is um, be kind because everyone is fighting a hard battle and you just don't know what's going on in someone's personal life with their family. And like you could say something that doesn't cost you much, but could mean so much to them and could make their day or their week or 
change the course of their life. Like words are quite powerful. And so I think just remembering that because if you are a words person like me and you're just trying to throw out encouragement here there and everywhere, sometimes you almost forget how powerful they can be. Um, and, and I guess the inverse of that is if you're not aware and it doesn't come naturally to you, you might not be doing it, but it's something I think that great leaders do. And and even beyond that, we have these, um, these, we wrote this in the work wellbeing book about these three E's. It was like great leaders encourage, they also equip and they entrust. And so great leaders go beyond just saying, oh, you can do it. You'll be great. I believe in you, but they actually give the training and then give the opportunity to, for them to try. And that's definitely been my experience here. That's what I have um, experienced even with regards to the public speaking aspect where I remember when Mark was like, oh, do you want to try giving it a go? And I was like, oh, like it wasn't something that I asked for. It wasn't something that I was seeking, but he, he gave that opportunity. And I was like, oh, I've, I've got a bit of experience from debating at school and, and public speaking through school leadership roles and things like that. And I was like, yeah, I could give it a go. Um, have a very much a say yes attitude, which has given me a lot of cool opportunities. Um, but he wasn't just like, okay, great. Well, one day you'll do it. He was like, okay, well, there's a presentation coming up and this is what I think you should do to prepare. And so I feel like that's what I experienced and I've just appreciated it so much. And I, I'm trying to do that with the people that are in my team here. Um, and hopefully just as encouragement <laughs> that, that words can have a really amazing, um, impact on people's lives for their career, but also, you know, just more broadly than that too. I love that three E's. So encourage, equip, and entrust. I love how that's really nicely defined and and actually applied and lived in in your work um, space, which is fabulous. So um, if I was to pick another one that I think jumps out at me as being a really awesome reflection um, is that reading is a secret power. <laughs> and you talk about nonfiction and fiction. Tell us a little bit more about that. I personally love to read. Like it's yeah, one of my favorite pastimes. But tell us a little bit about that that reflection. Yeah, it's it's definitely um born out of a personal passion for reading. I I love it. I and you you alluded to it. So clearly you've watched the TED talk, but even just the fact that my husband loves camping, we actually celebrated our wedding anniversary on the weekend and um, we went away camping and he loves camping. Like he loves just like the the task of like doing everything. And I love the task of sitting by the fire and reading. Like it really plays to our strengths. Um, and so get a lot of downtime and um, we, like my husband and I don't have children yet. So our household is, uh, we've just got more free time to spend with one another, but also to pursue our hobbies. And he's into trail running and and camping and I'm into reading and and, and other things. But I found that when I was writing the first book that Mark and I co-authored, which was called Work Wellbeing, probably came out of a bit of imposter syndrome um, because I was quite young when we wrote that book. I was like in my mid to late 20s and I was like, okay, I have to read every book that was ever written about work and leadership and culture because if I'm going to like put down thoughts about this or put down something like I need to be aware and and he encouraged that. He was like, yeah, that would be a great exercise to kind of do a bit of a scoping is what we would call it in in our world like scoping of what else is out there what else has been written what's the common discourse maybe and then where's gaps for something new to be provided or a new train of thought or building on something someone else has written so I read a lot of books um a lot of non-fiction books in preparation for writing that a lot of Simon Sinek Renee Brown all the big players just around work and leadership and culture and it was just amazing to me. I felt like I was like, how is all of this information just free? Like, I know it's not free. You have, you have to buy the book for 
$14 on Kindle or, or $30 in the bookshop or whatever it might be. But I was like, there's just so much, it's like doing a course online or something like just from these thought leaders. And there's just the, the, again, one of the huge benefits of our technologically integrated world is that you can find so much information online and, and through books. And I just think, I mean, I love it because you get into the mind of someone else and you get to hear their perspectives and their learnings. And it's been so helpful for me for those books, but also for my own leadership journey and and how I lead the people that I've been entrusted with here. But then after those books were done, I just fell into a real fiction reading time. And I'm still in that. Like I feel like I just read so many nonfiction books and I still try and pick them up. But like the fiction world is just where my heart is at the moment. Like I just love reading stories of other people. And I think for a long time I was a bit insecure, even on Goodreads or whatever. I was like, oh, I'm reading like a romance book or a crime or something that's not as like business savvy or intense, you know, but I'm like, you can actually learn so much about someone else or about someone else's perspective or, you know, walk in the shoes of someone that has a story that you might never walk through even from fiction. And I also am a firm believer, and I put this in my LinkedIn post, that just reading a lot makes you a better communicator. You learn new words, you learn new ways of structuring a sentence. Um, And even just, I am a big advocate for my Kindle. Like my husband got it for me because he goes to bed really early and I would always have the light on. He's like, okay, I need to get you something that like you can read while I can like go to sleep. So he got me a Kindle and it's just revolutionized my life because you can read in the dark. Um, But also you can like, you can hover over a word and it comes up with the definition of that word. If you're reading a book and you're like, what is that word? I've never come across that. And so I just feel like it's just this learning superpower um, that's so much of it is freely available to us. And even again, just I put in there purposefully as well. Like we can learn so much through reading fiction. And even if you're reading a story that doesn't have a super heavy um, message, but it's just getting you exposed to something else um, and someone else's point of view. And uh, as I said, I, I, I do a lot of writing here at McCrindle and speaking, and I do feel like reading helps me um, in that as well. So it's just mm-hmm. an amazing thing that's available um, to all of us. So I'd highly recommend. <laughs> I totally agree with that. And I think it doesn't necessarily matter how long the book is because you talk about, you know, the hungry caterpillar in your tent. <laughs> mm, <laughs> yeah. It's a good book. Um, but even I remember when my kids were younger, I I actually didn't, I gave up reading for myself for a long time for with fiction books, um, but reading Dr. Zeus, there is so much to be learned through reading a Dr. Zeus book and it takes you, what, 15 minutes maximum cover to cover. Um, so any amount of reading, um, I totally agree with you. It, it's that creative outlet. It helps to open up new ways of thinking. It's escapism sometimes. It's yep. just really satisfying for the soul. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the other book that I um that comes to mind even when you reference the the classics like The Very Hungry Caterpillar and, and the Dr. Seuss ones is a newer addition to that. Um The Boy, the Fox and the Unicorn, I think it is. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, you if you haven't read it, Shelley, you will Oh, it's amazing. It's like, it's a picture book, um, but it's, and it's, you could read it to your kids, but it's got this really adult message as well, just around being kind and empathy and it's beautifully illustrated. And it's like, it's not got many words in it, but you read it and you're like, 
I feel like I've been so challenged as a human as to how I treat other people and and how I view failure and all these things and like in a simple message, but it's got profound meaning. So that's another good one. I'd recommend highly. (laughs) Adding that to my family reading list right now. (laughs) Uh, so I, I've got one final question. Um, I love your your reflections. Um, when we uh, publish this, we'll put a link to your original post so people can look through your reflections. But what do you see for the decade ahead? For you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I do, I was talking to friends about this on the weekend, just like, I feel like I'm on this precipice of my life stage. Like I recently turned 30, well, not that recently anymore, um, a couple of years ago and, you know, turning 30 and and celebrating 10 years at McCrindle. And um, for me, I think it's this next stage of life would be trying to work out, I guess, what the next challenge is. I mean, I'm, I'm continually challenged here and I, and I love that. Um, but there's also a sense of comfort and um, not complacency. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't use that word, but comf- comfortability, I guess, just when you you walk in and you know your tasks and you know what to do and, and you can lead other people. And that's also really satisfying. But in terms of what the next kind of challenge is for me, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I think maybe kids are on the cards for my husband and I at some point, I don't know when either. And I don't know how to balance that with my career because I love it, but um, yeah, there's there's a few uncertainties, which is like probably more learnings and reflections to come even around being okay with not having a, a deep plan, but just saying yes to opportunities. But then again, navigating that intention with being intentional and going after what you want. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure. I'm, I'm at McCrindle for now still. I, I still could not speak more highly um, of this company and, and Mark and the team. Um, I've, I love it. I love my colleagues. Um, they've been a big part of, I think why I've, um, been able to be here for so long and, and withstand some really amazing seasons and rewarding seasons, but also hard seasons personally, but also like professionally, like writing the books was, um, a lot of work. Um, and so beautiful to have something like we've just bonded over our love of reading to have a book published was like a, a goal for my life. I never thought I would ever achieve. Um, but I have been able to and co-authored it with Mark and again, just opportunities that he's given me. So yeah, I'm, I'm here and I'm not exactly sure it could be like a career, um, new challenge, but also a family one. If, if God willing, we can, we can have kids. So yeah, I think that'll be the decade ahead. Um, but very thankful for the decade I've had as well. So. And I guess, um, really highlights that we don't know you know, what's going to happen in the future and having um, deep ingrained or firm plans around what we want is great in theory, as long as we've got that. Um, I like what you have is this idea of what you enjoy and what you want out of your career. And um, as long as you continue to want those things, then you know what you're saying yes to. I think, sometimes we miss that. Like, what, what am I saying yes to right now that I really enjoy that lights me up that I'm happy to continue to say yes to in the future, as opposed to, I don't really know. I know what I don't want. Um, and I feel pressure around this and, you know, there's, there's a lot of heaviness that can exist around that. You present a really nice light variation to that, which is really good. Yeah. Thank you. And I think for me, like I, put another one of those um those reflections in my post which was say yes to opportunities 
um, that scare you. But I feel like my whole career so far has just been say yes to anything, like not anything, but just say yes and and take it on. And and my life's been really busy and rich and and full, and I've really enjoyed that. But then even thinking about the next decade and and family and and kids and and the tension again that word tension of saying yes and going after what you want, but then also knowing what to say no to and to guard your time and your rest. And as you move through different seasons of life and your career, and that's been my reflection anyway, where the last yeah decade I've, I've said yes to a lot. And now I'm kind of at that stage where I'm like, okay, I can be maybe a little bit more intentional about what I want to go after or what I want to do. Um, but then, like you said, you're never fully in control of it all anyway. And another pandemic, please know, but another de- pandemic or unforeseen Black Swan event could hit. Um, and so having that resilience and that flexibility um, to go, okay, well, I need to change how I do this or that's all right, I'll 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 change here. And, and that's what we see a lot, even with the next generation coming through where the future of work is quite uncertain around artificial intelligence and what we will be doing for work and what jobs are being demand and that what do you want to do when you grow up question is has evolved quite a lot now it's kind of what skills do you have or what do you like and what can you transfer across different careers and jobs um, and industries so having a bit of fluidity but also having knowing what you like and just learning more about yourself um, and and what you enjoy doing and how you can contribute to something meaningful is is what I'm kind of thinking about as I think about the, the decade ahead. So I'm curious about the transition from saying yes to it all, and I think that is the luxury that comes earlier on in your career, to the saying no, and I think some people miss that transition uh, and continue to say yes to things, and we see burnout and exhaustion and all of that kind of thing. What have you said no to? And, <laughs> you know, like, well, not specifically, but you know, have you found it easy to say no? Has there been some, well, this is different to what I've always done and does, that, does yeah. doubt kind of creep in? Like how are you navigating that shift? Yeah, I, I'm in well and truly in the thick of it um, and I've said no to something, a, a big opportunity recently that I definitely would have said yes to um, three or four years ago and I definitely, it was a journey. It wasn't an overnight thing for me. Like I had to dwell on that and and talk about it with my husband um, and the people who are in my life who I, you know, seek counsel from like my mom and other, and friends and just to talk about the pros and the cons and to really think it through. Um, I can be an indecisive person because I, I wanted, I've wanted say yes to everything and I don't want to miss out. And like the FOMO fear of missing out, you know, the people, we use it as slang to talk about Gen Z. And I'm like, no, I have FOMO. Like I don't want to miss out on opportunities. Um, but I guess, I guess you get older, I think you just get a little bit more confident and and you start to learn from all those things you did say yes to and and the pros and the cons to those things and and other priorities that exist. But it's definitely hasn't come without doubt. You're like, did I do the right thing there? And even I imagine, not that I've changed jobs for a long time and not that I plan on doing that, but even when you change a job and you're like, did I do the right thing? Like when you take a risk for anything, you that doubt comes in and you've kind of got to work out how to how to deal with that. But I have, yeah, re- very recently said no to, to an opportunity, um, which was different for me because I am a yes person. But I will say, I think because I had given it, I allowed it the space and the time. It wasn't just a knee jerk thing because my reaction would be to say yes, but I kind of asked for a bit of time to dwell on it and I just was able to reflect a lot more um, on it. And then when I did say no, I felt a lot more at peace with that decision and like that was the right thing for me um, with what information I had about my life and my career, um, the time. So saying no is not not easy for me 
Um, but it was, I think it's a good thing to, to learn. And also just the fear of letting other people down. And, and I, I don't like that either. Um, but it was something that I knew was right for me after a fair bit of, um, deliberation on it. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I hear the importance as well of, uh, having people that you can talk to about it so that you can get out of your own head. You know, once you've done that tension between the two, <laughs> the goods yeah. and the bad, and it's still, well, it's pointing to yes, still, um, let me go to my support network and <laughs> run it through. Then. Yeah, absolutely. Once the pros and cons list has been <laughs> written, <laughs> let's run it by someone else. <laughs> Absolutely. Ash, thank you so much for joining us for the conversation. Um, Such rich insights, such amazing reflections of your 10 years. Um, Well done. Um, Thank you for taking the time to talk to us and all the best for the next decade. Thanks so much, Shelley. It's been a really um, enjoyable chat to be on today. So thanks so much. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. I look forward to another Dynamic Leader conversation with you all soon. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Dynamic Leader. There is no better time than now to work through your leadership and people strategy, to establish what the future might look like for your business and how you might empower your people to help you succeed. It is through building the capability of your people and reducing their dependency on you that will keep you moving forward at pace and will see you remaining relevant in the future. I have worked with over 100 businesses across almost as many industries and seen firsthand the challenges that come with employing, engaging, and managing staff. If you're looking to improve how you lead, why not reach out for a conversation? In the meantime, thanks so much for joining me and stay awesome.